0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening
1: live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another edition of The Late Show with me, Ollie Haley. Um, Tonight, I'll be talking all things um, teaching, including outstanding lessons and engagement. Is that a dirty word? Um, So do stay tuned, get involved. I would love to hear what you have to say. Okay, so good evening, everybody. I hope you're all doing well. Um, welcome back to another edition of the Late Show. Um, I'm Ollie Haley, and uh, I'm really excited to be here again. It only feels like uh, yesterday that I was uh, delivering my first show, actually, and it's interesting because I was slightly, slightly less nerve well, cl- obviously slightly less nervous than I was the first time around, but still uh, a little, a little bit of um, uh, a- a kind of pre-show apprehension. Um, but I'm, it's like riding a bike, isn't it? You know, you you know, you just settle in straight away. So, um, what are we going to be talking about tonight? Well, if you saw my tweets, uh, I kind of first promotional tweet went out earlier this week, and um, you would have seen that I was planning to talk about uh, outstanding lessons and whether outstanding lessons exist. Outstanding teachers do. Outstanding teachers exist. Uh, is engagement dirty word this is a debate that i've seen previously on twitter as well um and I'll, i'll i feel like i should start just by saying that i don't have any particularly strong opinions well no i do i do in some respects but being still quite new to the profession i'm genuinely interested to find out what people think um especially those of you who kind of taught uh, in the early you know like in like early 2000s I guess um, having having mentioned early 2000s that's not that's not I'm not gonna poke that particular beehive this evening because there's been a there's been a lot of uh, lively discussions on Twitter recently which I've seen kind of briefly about whether things you know certain teaching strategies or pedagogical approaches, Actually, were used in the early two thousands, um, and and people have been posting some really interesting pictures of their you know early early lesson plans and uh, resources or, or things that they used in their kind of first few lessons. So, it's um it's really interesting for me to see that because some of them actually resemble the lesson plans that I myself um w- were using when I when I trained last year. And and it's it's interesting to see that it's not come on a huge amount um, in terms of the like pro formers and the things you need to be demonstrating for it to be a good lesson plan, good in inverted commas lesson plan. Uh, obviously, I can't comment too much because I, at the time uh, in question, I was only about six years old. So I, I was I was in the classroom, but not as you might think. I was I was I, not in front of the chalk face. Um, I was sat at one of the tables. Um, so I'll be talking about kind of Offsted outstanding. I've found some things on various things online, which, uh, I'll be talking about, uh, and, and some kind of, um, not necessarily any facts or, or not, well, not loosely speaking facts, uh, not, not necessarily any statistics or anything like that. Um, but some kind of blogs, some articles and things, which I'm going to be drawing upon to talk about. And, um, most importantly, most importantly, I'm I've got a guest with me this evening who I'm who I'm actually going to ask to join me. It's like tw- I'm in the 25 minute countdown before my guest joins me, and I'm so I'm super excited. I'm not ashamed to that I'm super excited. I've been really excited all day to speak to my guest. Um, so that is going to be great. And I'm really really excited. So do stay tuned for that because there's going to be some really really, um, uh, no doubt it will be a, a wealth. Of, of information that my guest um, I feel I, I've already tweeted who my guest is going to be. I, I'm kind of holding it back, but you already know who my guest is going to be. It's, it's international teacher Freya Odell. Um, I'm going to try not to fanboy too much over Freya at this point in the show. I'm going to save that for later on, but suffice to say, I am really, really excited to speak to Freya and find out um what her views on outstanding teaching and engagement and excellency and perfection and everything is. So, um I hope everybody had a good day. I was actually meant to start with a positive. I was meant to start by asking how everybody's day was. Um, I had a good day. I did not have a full day today. I had a five, five, yeah, five period day today. And um, on the whole, it was good. Uh, so, I had a year seven class, I had a year nine class, we were doing transactional writing, so non-fiction writing for those of you who aren't English teachers. Um, I had my six form class, and six form class is always a pleasure. I, I really enjoy teaching Key Stage 5. Um, and I had a year eight class as well. And with my year eight class, we were practicing introductions, which was super, super fun. Um, and it's really interesting actually, because as I was doing the reading for this show, There were some things that I was reading, which were which were kind of reminding me of the year eight lesson that I had today. Um, So I'm going to kind of dive in and try and run the clock down uh, before before Freya comes on. So um, I'm going to start off first of all by talking about um, outstanding lessons. Now, I'm before before I talk about what I found online, the various definitions of an outstanding lesson. I'm a real perfectionist by nature, a real perfectionist, and I don't think that being a perfectionist and being a teacher are necessarily the best combination, because in teaching, there's a kind of a, a, an, an adage that I hear often, which which is something along the lines of you know the job's never really finished, and I think striving for perfection can be quite harm, harmful in some ways because. You there's always something you can be doing. There's always tweaks you can be making. There's always refinements you can be making, and you end up kind of falling into the trap where, well, certainly I did anyway. I don't I don't know whether this experience is one which is shared by anybody else, but certainly when I was training, I found myself often falling into the trap where planning one lesson would take me, I don't know, two to three hours, uh, and that was purely. Uh, in, in, in those days, he says, talking about a year ago, in those days, um, that was that was purely kind of designing a PowerPoint. It would take me, yeah, upwards of like three hours to do that. And I would never be happy unless everything was perfect, unless it was nicely decorated and unless the font was right and the text was in the correct position, everything was aligned nicely and I had a good image and the image was high res and the image had a frame around it and the frame was just the right thickness And it was crazy because I was spending so much time beautifying my resources that I wasn't thinking about what the students were gonna be doing and what they were gonna be learning. And my energy was completely directed in the wrong direction. Um, When I shook that habit and decided to kind of rely less on resources, um, I found I still had the same sort of problem Except this t- but, but, but a slightly but a slightly more desirable version of that problem. In that, I found that I was striving for perfection in terms of the way that I would explain things or the way that I would model something. So, I'd say I'm probably still in that position now. Um, although it doesn't take me two to three hours to plan lessons anymore, thankfully. Um, but I do still find myself sometimes unable unable to know when to stop. And I think it's really, it's really important that you say, you know, I think this is good enough and sometimes good enough is good enough and that you aren't constantly striving for, for perfection. I also had someone say to me once, and this is this has stuck with me, you should aim to be outstanding for a small part of your lesson or for, yeah, for a small part of your lesson every day and the rest, you know, should be good enough. And that's generally kind of the approach that I take. Um, so I've got a couple of uh, a couple of people. Well, uh, some some texts that have been coming in. So Miss um, Socha, I hope I'm I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I'm starting to feel like they're incompatible. Absolutely, and it took me far longer than it should have done to realize to, to to come to that same realization. But I'm new to teaching, so I spend way too long prepping every day. But this is it, isn't it? I think this is a trap which a lot of new teachers fall into a lot of new teachers fall into this trap of spending so long prepping their lessons. And, and, and like I said, my, my prep time was mostly spent on decorating my resources, you know, decorating my PowerPoints or making, I don't know, nice looking worksheets, aesthetically pleasing worksheets, but it wasn't spent thinking about where the students were going to be going and what they were going to be doing and what I was going to be talking to them about, um, which I also feel like is, is another uh, well, I, well, I don't know. That's I'm, I'm speaking purely from my own experience. I don't know if other people have, have found that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really interesting um, to to think to think about it and and to look back and, and uh, you know realize the time that I wasted in trying to aim for perfection because it's something you're never going to get in teaching. I, I don't think. So um, I've got here. Uh, this, is, uh, this is from um, just, uh, just a website I found online. What makes an outstanding lesson? And it's got, I don't know how old, oh, by the way, uh, sorry, it's 2018. This is from 2018. So Ofsted defines an outstanding lesson as one in which pupils are inspired, engaged and motivated, challenged, making progress, keen to contribute to the lesson, asking relevant questions and debating the topic with enthusiasm interacting productively with each other, as well as the teacher, able to explain what they are doing and why, proud of their achievements during the lesson. I find some of those things quite nebulous. Uh, Incidentally, number one, inspired, engaged and motivated. Engagement is something that I'm going to hopefully touch on later on. Um, Number three, making progress. That's interesting. An outstanding lesson is one in which pupils make progress. Is it the case that pupils will make progress in every lesson? And is it the case that an hour, an hour block, or however long your lessons are, is a sufficient amount of time in order for them to do that and to demonstrate that progress? Or have we now come round to the view that actually learning is something that takes place over a series of lessons over time and so is it not more desirable that we want people to demonstrate progress over time than to demonstrate progress in one single block because i would argue that if they're demonstrating progress in an hour block that's not learning that's performance and there is a fundamental difference a fundamental difference which as a as a trainee teacher i was unaware of and often fell victim to. So if I introduce something, for example, and I don't know, a new, uh, I don't know, say a new word or a particular way of doing something. And I introduced that at the start of the lesson. And then 20 minutes later, the students used that word or they demonstrated an ability to carry out the new thing that I'd introduced. I would leave that lesson often thinking, oh good, they learned something. And there's, and there's evidence of that in their books because they, they can now do something. They left the lesson being able to do something they weren't able to do before. And then invariably, I would see them in the next lesson, two or three days later. And I would say, okay, good. What was that word that we talked about last lesson? And I would be met by a sea of blank faces. And I would, I would, be, I would be swallowed by the, by the silence that filled the room. And in fact, this happened to me just the other day. I'd introduced my year nines to a structure they could use for their non-fiction writing. And it all went really well. I modelled how to produce a uh, an introduction using this particular structure. And I, I circulated the room afterwards and, and and the students were doing really well. And then yesterday, I said, we're going to do that same thing again. We're going to use that same structure. Who can remember what that structure was? And nobody nobody said a thing. And they just stared at me. And I said, okay, okay. Um, you know, so we, we start off with this and I was providing prompts and still nobody could remember. And, and, and it kind of struck me that I, I'm still kind of susceptible to those, those mistaken beliefs, you know, those, those, those myths that, um, just because you've, you've, you've taught something, they've learned it, which, which clearly isn't always the case. Um, so we have a comment, oh, sorry, a text in from Elaine, Elaine, welcome Elaine. Elaine is one of my favourite people um, on Twitter. That assumes progress is linear and consistent. It doesn't it, Lorraine? Uh, Elaine, absolutely. So it. I think back in back in the day, like early two thousands, as I was saying earlier, there was a thing about pupils had to make progress, like or demonstrate progress every twenty minutes or something. But that that relies on the assumption that progress is linear. And and that learning happens in an, you know if, if you were to draw learning as a graph it would it would be a nice straight line, when actually I think it would be probably more like a a sound wave in that it would be going up and down up and down, um so yeah I think and again this is this was in 2018 this thing that I found so even as recently as kind of three or four years ago there's still this assumption that an outstanding lesson is one in which we have to demonstrate that pupils are making progress but that's not always possible and if that isn't possible you know is is it the case that just because they haven't been able to demonstrate progress that the lesson isn't outstanding never mind the teacher delivered outstanding content has excellent subject knowledge did everything that, that was expected of them you know good behavior management good routines positive praise all that sort of stuff just because it fell short on that one thing that pupils weren't able to demonstrate progress they weren't able to Immediately tackle a difficult concept that it's that it's not an outstanding lesson. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's a difficult, one, isn't it? Um, we've got uh, also a text from Nathan. Welcome, Nathan. There are also things that are easy to make false metrics for. So the tail wags the dog, like reciting the learning objective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that's another thing, isn't it? You know, you introduce a learning objective at the start of the lesson. And if, an, if someone comes in, an observer or whatever, and they say to one of the students, what are you learning today? And, and the student says, well, we are learning how to do this. All they've done is just repeat the learning objective. It doesn't mean that they actually really necessarily understand the learning objective or know what to do with the learning objective, um, which is largely why I don't bother with learning objectives because I don't, I don't find them helpful. Um, I much prefer kind of learning questions and and I think I've said this before that if the students are able to answer that question in some way at the end of the lesson then it's a measure of how well I've taught them or not I am fully aware obviously that by the next lesson they could have forgot the answer but yeah you know, then you get into a whole thing about revisiting and repeating and space practice and whatnot um hello hello we've had some we've had some more people join hello welcome thank you thank you for joining me um so that's that's making progress um keen to contribute to the lesson asking relevant questions and debating the topic with enthusiasm this is another uh thing that i find quite um strange because i have or have taught pupils who don't contribute verbally and yet will produce written work that is of an incredibly high standard and i mean incredibly high um despite being quiet so and also that's is that not kind of judging the teacher against the actions of the pupil so just because a pupil doesn't contribute or you know as uh not all the pupils are contributing how, is is it is it right is it fair to kind of treat that as a not a failure on the teacher's part but I don't know, an omission or an oversight on the teacher's part because a student can still learn and make progress without contributing verbally to a lesson. There were lessons at school that I didn't contribute in verbally and which I came out with very good grades in. Incidentally, the best lesson that I, or the, the, the subject that I did, that I achieved the best grade in was one where I was very vocal, but I think that's just a happy coincidence. I don't, you know, I, I'm not I'm not suggesting that that's kind of the, um, you know, that, that that's the rule. Um, so uh, I want to, I want to pronounce, I want to pronounce the name, but I don't know if I'm getting it wrong. Is it, is it no, noam, noam? Um, Sorry, Ollie, what are you talking about? So at the moment I'm just talking about outstanding lessons, outstanding lessons, according to a uh, the Ofsted definition of, that was in, available in 2018 um, is what I'm reading. So we've it was, there's seven things that Osted considered to uh constitute an outstanding lesson. One of those is making progress, which which I just spent a bit of time talking about. The next one, which I'm currently talking about, is that pupils are keen to contribute to the lesson and i and I just think my my thoughts on that are yeah are that is it the case that if a pupil doesn't contribute to the lesson, it can't possibly be outstanding? Um, Oh, we have got evening. It's Freya, hi everyone. Hi Freya, I can't wait for you to call in. I'm so excited to speak to you and I'm so excited to hear what you've got to say. Um, Hi all, Lorraine here. Hi Lorraine, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Um, I think there are things that I agree with here. So number six, able to explain what they are, the pupils are able to explain what they're doing and why. That I agree with. I think it's important for students to know what they're doing and why they're doing it, and to be able to articulate that. One thing I'm trying to work on at the moment is at the start of every lesson, just before I get the the students to do anything, is explaining to them what we're going to be doing in today's lesson, how 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 it's connected to what we've done in previous lessons and how it's relevant or beneficial or helpful for where we're going. So that's the attitude that I'm taking at the moment. So with my year eights, for example, we're currently doing assessment prep. And I've been saying to them at the start of each lesson, you know, today we're going to be working on the skills that you're going to be applying in your assessment. Um, and it's important because of this. It's related to what we've done already because we're using these same, um, you know, we're, we're, we're using our ability to make inferences and to provide evidence for the points that we make and things like that. So I do think it's really important for people to be able to explain what they're doing and why. That I agree with. Interacting productively with each other as well as the teacher. Yeah, I, I don't think I have any, I don't think I know enough to talk about that. Um, Although again, I've had lessons where pupils have produced really, really good work without necessarily interacting uh, hugely with one another. Proud of their achievements during the lesson. I, do, I don't know how that contributes to to an outstanding lesson um do it should we not judge the quality of lessons by the quality of teaching or learning and not not the extent to which pupils are proud of what they've done because that's just that's that's i don't know that just seems like a like a cosmetic thing you know I was, i'm you know I, i've got nice neat work but also this was another thing that, that was came up on Twitter the other day, is whether neat neat work is a false proxy for learning. You no, know, just because work is neat, we assume that uh, that I don't know. We assume learning is taking place, but again, not always the case. I would be interested to to know if there's any direct correlation between neat work and uh, the the quality of learning. I'd be very interested to know that, in fact. Um, So then we move on to the Ofsted definition of an outstanding teacher. So they're experts in their subject. I think everyone can agree that that is, that's important. We all need to be, as teachers, we need to be experts in our subjects. And that's something also that I'm trying actively to work on. But we need to have, we need to have subject knowledge that allows us to, uh, you know, I think explain things better uh to devise kind of analogies to make explanations more accessible or memorable um it also allows us to be flexible i think as well and and respond and adapt which is which is hugely important um involving every one of their students in the learning process yes although involving them in what way because i could circulate the room and i could speak to each of my students you know that's involving them in the learning process um So is that sufficient or does it need to be involving them in terms of making sure that they contribute to a class discussion? I don't know. Setting imaginative tasks that challenge and inspire pupils. I think my only, my only, the only question I have about that one is what, what does imaginative mean? What's an imaginative task? Because that sounds a bit gimmicky, an imaginative task, Uh, or, or does it mean, I don't know, I don't really know what that means. I would be really interested to hear what everybody else thinks about this. Um, what, what, what is an imaginative task? That's, that seems like a really hard, difficult thing to define from where I'm sat. Utilizing a wide range of approaches and learning resources in order to target different pupils with different abilities and learning styles. <gasps> this is only four years old, not even four years old. This is three years old. Pupils with different abilities and learning styles. Is that is that a reference, dare I say it, to the infamous VAC? Surely it can't be anything else. Even as recently as three years ago, were we still talking about VAC?
2: My
1: oh, goodness. Okay. Number five, facilitating independent learning and pupil evaluation. I don't really know what pupil evaluation means. Pupil what, people where pupils evaluate their own work? self assessment that sort of thing facilitating independent learning um yes after delivering an explanation and modeling how to do something that you're trying to get them to do i suppose that i suppose that is facilitating isn't it um oh okay we've got a, we've got a comment here hi mate nick from australia hi nick oh wow thank you for joining uh Kindy teacher, I guess that's kindergarten, kindergarten teacher zero to five years, children interacting with each other and teacher hugely important for developing social skills, probably a bit different to your year eights, but still relevant, I think. Absol- Nick, I'm really glad you said that, because I'm, I'm very aware, actually, now that I've been talking purely from a secondary point of view. Um, so I imagine that, actually, in the, in the age group that you teach and in primary, pupils interacting with each other is probably hugely important. Well, is, is definitely hugely important. Um, and I guess it is. I guess it is as well uh, uh, at secondary school. I'm just. I'm just. I'm not. I'm not. I wouldn't say that I'm suggesting that that in itself isn't important. I'm just wondering whether that should be a criteria for an outstanding lesson. Just because the students haven't interacted with one another, does that mean that that's that the lesson has not has failed to reach the the lofty heights of outstanding. So I think in itself, interaction is obviously massively important. It is, but does it have to take place in the lesson for the lesson to be outstanding? I think that was what I was trying to say. Sorry, sorry, Nick, if that wasn't, if that wasn't very clear. Um, and number six, checking progress towards objectives in a non-disruptive way. I guess that would mean if the students are working silently, you're not talking every five minutes. Which is a habit that I'm also trying to break, because I keep at the moment setting my students off on a task, and then I'll and then I'll start talking, and and I'll and then I'll have to remind mm-hmm. myself to just be quiet. Uh, in order to be classes outstanding, teachers also have to comply with guidelines such as recapping the previous lesson at the start. Of course, we all are familiar with Mister Rosenshine, providing clear lesson objectives, which are revisited and revised during the lesson. So introducing a learning objective and then making sure that we are linking the things that we do to the learning objective. Um, oh, we've got a, another text in from Nathan. We did use to try and hit a lot of things at once. Every teacher is an English teacher. Even this week, lessons need to be more active and to help with fitness. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that or something kind of related to that, Nathan, When I, when I talk about engagement, because I found a website which gives like 17 Engage tips for creating an engaging classroom, and some of them I, I have to admit I, I kind of chuckled at when I read them. I, I I assumed as I was reading it that it was aimed at, at primary teachers or primary students, and I think I was chuckling because I was trying to imagine myself doing these things with my secondary students and and just the sort of uh, mayhem that would ensue if I tried to uh, implement these things. So. Here that here we then have, any Ofsted inspector will tell you that there is no exact recipe for an outstanding lesson. They simply know one when they see it. That seems like a kind of catch-all, doesn't it? Like, well, there's no specific criteria other than the seven criteria that we've just listed. It, we just know, we just know, we just know when we see it. The one vital ingredient or the vital ingredient is enthusiasm from both pupil and teachers whose body language speaks volumes about how engaged they are there's that word again the e word um I've just seen the time it's half eight so I'm gonna I'm gonna put the news on and when the news is on I'm gonna get Freya to call in and I'm and I'm I'm, I'm I'm so excited so I'm gonna I'm gonna play the news now and then afterwards Freya I'll invite you to call in and we can have a chat and you can share what you think about this and I'm and I'd be really interested to talk to you as well Freya about kind of you know the whole idea of being perfectionists and whether that marries up with being a teacher and how we can get around that and it's gonna be great, it's gonna be great.
0: This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles, and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslacgroup.co.uk to find out more.
2: Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? then Little Wundle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. Created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics, Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Colin's Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Or join a free briefing by visiting littlewonderlettersandsounds.org.uk.
0: Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod, an exciting new addition to the Renaissance family. Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification, and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today.
2: If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion wwwwitherslackgroupcouk forward slash careers and be part of our future.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn.
3: The Prime Minister announced last week that pupils in England no longer needed to wear face coverings in class, and this rule is to be extended to cover school communal areas next week. Boris Johnson is now urging all teachers to follow the rules after some resistance. A spokesman for the Prime Minister said, children have been one of the hardest hit as a result of the disruption throughout the pandemic. And Mr Johnson believes it is vital Mm -hmm that children are receiving face-to-face education and can enjoy a normal experience in the classroom. We've been clear that we removed the requirements for face masks to be worn in classrooms and we will remove advice for face masks to be worn in communal areas from January the 27th. The Prime Minister thinks schools should follow the latest guidelines. Pupils who attend John Fletcher of Maidley Primary School in Telford have taken part in activities which are aimed at helping pupils understand about saving energy and reducing their carbon footprint. The activities were coordinated by Telford and Recon Council and March's Energy Agency. Councillor Richard Overton said, Improving energy efficiency is extremely important for households across the borough and can help to lower utility bills, create jobs, and stabilise gas and electricity prices. Parent Mrs Pemberton said, We immediately noticed the impact of this session. Conversations at home as a consequence of this presentation have suggested we turn the heating down and wear jumpers, and asking whether we really need the lights on and switching these off. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio news with Gail Glenn.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
4: Hello, this week we're going to take a look at teaching online. Marmite comes to mind when I think about teaching online. I actually like it, but it's my job and I'm surrounded by gadgets to assist me. A lot of teachers hate it. If you think about it, for 90% of the current population of teachers, delivering a lesson online is something they've not even been trained in they signed up to be in the classroom with a group of pupils. I'm not gonna go into the depths of the delivery platform. That's normally a choice that's already made for you by technology leaders in schools. I'm gonna give you a couple of free tools that work in a browser, so don't need installing and can be used for engagements in the classroom and easily adapted to use online. First up, we all love Kahoot. Did you know you can set a Kahoot to be self-paced rather than live? Simply click the assign button and you have an instant self-paced quiz for a homework, a starter or a progress check. If you need to take it online, share the link and off you go. If you use lots of YouTube clips and websites, check out Wakelet. Share collections of links in a meaningful way, for free. My favourite use for this is to group my YouTube clips for topics. Not only are they play back with less distractions, but I can share a group of links for revision or to flip a lesson. Again, if I have to teach online, one link can lead to many. Just remember to check your school's policy on using websites such as YouTube for online teaching. If you have access to devices in the classroom, why not try Mentimeter? Create interactive presentations, take votes or build word clouds from participants' answers to improve engagement, assess learning and inspire discussion. Or, if you love white boards try whiteboard.fi as a teacher you can see all your classes whiteboards and answers know who's interacting and who's not you can even show a qr code for ease of joining i could go on and on The idea is to test these things out when you're with your class and there's no pressure. Then, should you need to teach online, you'll feel more comfortable, there'll be fewer issues, and most importantly, you'll see if pupils are engaging. I hope you consider bringing a bit of tech into your classroom. As always, please test things work in your setting before you use them. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech
0: with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: okay so at this point i am going to ask freya to call in so that okay she's calling in here she is hopefully she'll be joining soon hi freya can you hear me hello?
5: hello can you hear me
1: i can i can hear you perfectly how are you doing
5: i'm good how are you
1: yeah i'm so good oh, i'm so excited to talk to you um freya i first came across uh what kind of like was introduced to you when Oh, it was way back at a T te- and I think it was teach me English icons, which feels like ages ago now. And you did a talk, I think on teaching, writing and, um, I, I followed you on Twitter straight away and and literally I've followed everything you've done since then. And pray you're probably <laughs> one of my favorite people on Twitter because you're so reflective and you're so knowledgeable. And I just love, um, some of the strategies that you use and the work that your pupils produce as well. It's just incredible. So I'm really, really excited to talk to you. Um, what do you that, think?
5: That's such, a, that's such a nice introduction. Thank you very much. I'm really boring <laughs> in real life, right? I'm really boring. I'm really dull. I'm quite miserable. Um, so it's, See, it's lovely. It's a lovely introduction.
1: <laughs> anyone who's familiar with you, Freya, is going to know that's not true because also you are like a food and like wine connoisseur <laughs> so it's so interesting to see all of like the pictures and stuff that you post in and, and obviously living in beautiful Italy as well. It's it's even more incredible. So um I'm gonna ask you, Freya, where do you stand on um this idea of outstanding lessons, outstanding teachers? So I know you are also a you you are kind of a self confessed perfectionist as well, aren't you? So so what are your <laughs> thoughts?
5: Um I hate the term outstanding. I've got to be honest. I hate it. I think that um it's just too much pressure on people. And I was just listening to you read that list and I was just thinking, oh my God, I felt exhausted just listening to that list (laughs) of things that you were supposed to do every lesson. I mean, imagine, you know, I'm a full-time English teacher now. I have no responsibilities, I just teach. And imagine trying to hit all of those things, six lessons on the trot. I mean, you'd be done in, you would be done in. And I think
2: that,
5: you know, yes, I'm a perfectionist, uh, you know, and that's really annoying. But I think also we have to cut ourselves some slack. And I think striving to be outstanding all of the time is an impossible reach. Um, And I remember actually working for a really incredible head teacher and he said to me once, Freya, this is how you do it. In a two-week cycle, your classes need to get you at your outstanding. They need to get you at your good and they need to get you at your R.I. And as long as they have a mixture of that diet across the two weeks, you're doing a really good job. And I, I just think that that actually is it in hand isn't it you can't you can't be constantly outstanding you just can't there's so there's too many factors yeah there um, is and
1: also you've got to think as well that we are you know we are humans we're not robots and there's going to be days where we go in and we don't feel 100 percent we're going to be tired we're going to be there's going to be lots of things on our mind and on those days it's going to be very very difficult to like you say hit all of the things on that list you know lesson after lesson after lesson and um, and it's really, what you said there was really interesting because I found an, another article on um, uh, Teacher Toolkit. So Ross Morrison, McGill's website, and it's written by um, John Dabble. I hope I'm getting that right. And um, there's a quote in there where it says, um, outstanding is unsustainable, untenable and unworkable even in the short term. So, you know, even, even in the course of a, of, a, of a full day, a full teaching day, outstanding is, is kind of an unrealistic milestone um so it's really interesting that you said about being exhausted because there's a there's a compromise you have to make isn't there between being good enough and also then actually just being realistic and looking after yourself at the same time
5: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think that, um, you know, if you are always striving to have the perfect lesson, it's going to go wrong. It's going to go wrong either in the classroom because you're going to get wound up when things don't go right, or it's going to go wrong because you're going to put too much pressure on yourself. You know, you're not going to sleep very much. Um, And and it's just going to go wrong from that sort of health standpoint as well. So I think, I mean we had this discussion at my school and we chose to eradicate the term outstanding and just go for great let's just strive to be great at what we do and and that's enough
1: that's great yeah i love i love that actually and and i think in this and in another article i read it said let's not aim for outstanding let's just aim for effective you know let's just be effective that's more realistic and and that's probably where we want to be isn't it we just want to be we want to be effective for our students and make sure that they are getting the best that they Possibly can without you know those unrealistic expectations. Um, so, Freya, for you then, when is when is enough enough? You know, when do you when do you think okay, I'm calling it a day. This lesson, I've, you know, I've, I've designed this lesson, I've planned this lesson. I feel that it's the best it can be. At what point do you do you kind of not give in to those those urges to to make more tweaks and more refinements?
5: Yeah, I think that I think that's harder the early you are into your career, I think that, um, I think personally, we overcomplicate lesson planning. And the simpler, the better in my experience, you know, I agree. So I, I'm super boring, right? I start every single lesson with five <laughs> recap questions. That's it. Five recap questions, every lesson. Um, but it's that simplicity that I think a kid's really appreciate in the sense that when they go into your room, they absolutely know what to expect from you and they know the standards and they know exactly what they're going to be doing from the from the moment they enter the classroom. So I think to a degree we, we overcomplicate and we should really, I always say actually when I'm, well, when I did train um, PGCs and the like, that you're you need to really think about what is the one thing you want the kids to take away from your lesson. What is the one thing? And then you plan everything around that. Uh Um, And sometimes they'll hit it and sometimes they won't. But what is the one thing? Because I think when we start, some people are still really into this pacey, pacey, four-part lesson, five-part lesson, whatever it is now. And it just doesn't work. You know, let's think about the one thing we want to hit and then let's do everything that tries to get that thing hit and do it well.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I I know when I was training, um, particularly when we went into the first lockdown, uh, and we we moved to remote learning and I would try and I would try and fill my le- I think in the early part of my my training year, I was trying to just fill my lessons and um because I was so worried like oh, what if I didn't have enough for the hour and then I'd be stood there and i, I didn't I wouldn't have the experience to fall back on. I wouldn't know what to do or what to say. So I would just try and fill my lessons and uh, I remember my mentor at the time saying to me, "You're trying to do too much, just focus on one thing at a time." And that was probably one of the best pieces of advice that I had. Is just yeah, like you said, what is the one thing that you want them to come away with, and what are you going to do to get them there? And uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that I've, I've got it right yet because I don't think I have. Um, it will probably take me a lot longer. But yeah, it's it's much better, I think, to to just look at that that one thing instead of because it's just such a focus on pace, isn't there? You know, and, and I, I think I saw something from Zoe Entser on Twitter the other day where she said about like. What does that actually mean? Like, what do you mean pace? Like, too fast, too slow? It's just, it's such a weird concept, isn't it? This idea of pace.
5: Yeah, but again, I think, you know, when people train and they're early on into their career, I think it's something that they hear a lot about. You know, you need to be pacey or you need to Mm. slow this down or you need to do this or you need to do that. And I think also, like you say, people worry about those silences and those moments where you're stepping back and you're not quite sure if everyone's doing everything. And I... My my thing about pace, and I think I put this on the thread, is that actually it's responsive, right? There is no sort of dictated pace when you go into a lesson. It is, well, apart from the start, actually, where you, you, know, you are quite pacey with your do-it-now, but then everything you do is responsive to that because there's no point moving on with something if they haven't got what you're trying to teach them. So you have to respond to what they're giving you, slow it down if need be, And then, I mean, my last observation, it was really funny. My hod said to me, you do realize when you say to the kids that they've got three minutes, you give them 30 seconds. And I say, yeah, I know, because they don't need three minutes. They just needed 30 seconds at that point. You know, but equally, if I see that they're getting on with something and they need a little bit longer, I'll give them that longer period of time. So. For me, pace is a, is a false kind of proxy, if you like. I think it's got to be responsive and we've got to be responding to the pupils in the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, responsive teaching as well, I think, is massively important. That's something which I, I, I'm trying to kind of work more on at the moment. Um, so let, let me turn now to this idea of engagement. Um, what's your stance on engagement? What does that word mean to you? Is it, is it like a buzzword? Does it actually mean anything?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a buzzword that's come to mean something different to what it could potentially mean if you catch my drift. So I think it's come to mean being whizzy and buzzy and entertaining. And, you know, that's not really our job to be buzzy and whizzy and entertaining. And actually, um, people on Twitter have, have often put it quite right in in that our subject should be entertainment enough they should be engaged with our subject you know for me as an English teacher um the beauty of the stories that we tell and the power of them and the the you know the humanity that we try to explore and what we're reading that should be engagement enough um I think trying to make what we do entertaining again it is not is not what we're here for
1: no I I agree and I think you know as a fellow English teacher the the whole idea of like learning about things like epizeuxis or um I don't know think th- and how they work and 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 uh, I don't know just the, all those kind of like rhetoric for example that that is interesting enough without needing to you know get the students up and deliver a, a like a speech as if they were talking to the roman senate or something you know it's like (laughs) it's 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 perfectly acceptable to just teach them how to like to tell them about something and then to let them have a go at like practicing it or something yeah you know what i mean
5: yeah i think there's two things there i mean i think you know i'm laughing because i was doing that today and um i I was teaching it and i've started to do some short burst writing but you can you can make it somewhat engaging in terms of if you know your kids for example so i decided to do a short burst of writing where they had to persuade me that pineapple pizza was the best pizza ever now
1: oh i saw this this looks so good
5: you're doing that with italians right and immediately they were in they were in uproar honestly they nearly walked out of my classroom they were like this is disgusting <laughs> Heresy. okay but what you have there is you do have some engagement with the task because it's relevant to them and you know and that comes from knowing them and your relationship with them yeah so i think there are moments aren't there where you can tap into things that you know they will respond really well to on the flip of that what i have really appreciated and i'm sure lots of people have appreciated over the past few years is is the drive for for what we would term knowledge rich curriculums and I think it's seen um a real push for knowledge a real push for greater knowledge and I think that the kids love it you know like like even with epizuxis today teaching that you know I said to them it's actually a really posh word for a very simple concept but it makes you sound super intelligent right it makes you sound really intelligent and they love those little nuggets. So I think, again, you know, knowledge can be really engaging in itself, because you're making them feel really clever.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I, I'm, I'm a big believer in the idea of, um, yeah, knowledge is engaging and, and and knowing something just for the fun of knowing it. Um, I mean, I, I had this thing with my uh, year 12s the other day is I, I try and do a a language uh, or terminology review each week with them just to keep their kind of knowledge of linguistic terms up fresh and stuff and and I threw a curveball in on uh, Monday because I gave them the word contronym and uh, it was a word they'd never heard of before and they didn't know what it was and I was like oh let me give you a clue. let me give you a clue it's just called an autoantonym and they were like that doesn't that doesn't help and I and I said to them at the end this isn't relevant to Dracula. This isn't something that you're going to come up, but it, it's, you know, why why not just know it? Why not know it for the fun of it? And then it was really funny because we started reading Dracula and one of the examples I'd given them of a contronym actually came up in the text and we all kind of laughed <laughs> and we were like, oh, look at that. That was kind of like just a really fortunate accident. Um, but yeah. yeah you know, the I...
5: thing is, so like tagged into that, right? I do a knowledge test every term and then I space it out. So, you know, the, t- the next term I do the same knowledge test with a few additional questions so building it up and I did that last week with my year seven so I did their second knowledge test revising the content from the first term and they sat it you know with the idea of space practice and self-quizzing at home and all of that kind of stuff and I gave the results back right and I gave the results back in the library and no word of a lie they were literally screaming with joy because they'd done so well and hugging each other yeah. They, they're they engaged because they want to learn stuff and they want to know stuff and they want to get stuff right that's the engagement and that is that for me was just such a beautiful moment because I thought wow this is just for me a simple knowledge test but for them it means a lot yeah
1: uh, and you jo- I love those moments I absolutely love those moments so with my year sevens at the moment we're doing poetry and you know it's not every student's favorite topic especially when you're 11 or 12 years old but the The more that we do it and the more I get them to just kind of write their own poems and give them the freedom to write them. I mean, I had a, a boy today finish his first poem and he said, please can I write another one? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Of course you can. And then at the end we had 10 minutes left and I said, right, okay, let's, um, let's have a read of some. And I had about 12 kids come up to me and give me their books. And I said, I'm not going to get through all of these. And then I had kids at home on teams and they're yelling at me saying, please, can I read mine? Please, can I read mine? And, I think that you know that's that's the sort of engagement that I want where they want to share what they've written and when they do share what they've written they celebrate each other you know like your kids hugging each other and stuff and they they comment on each other's poems and they say I really like the way you did that or I wish I would have done something like that and um, that's the sort of kind of engagement that I want you know I think when I started to train it was much more about my, my idea of engagement was if, if I've got a really um, well designed PowerPoint slide and the kids are like wow this is like in terms of graphics this is this is incredible They've put some real like effort into this you know that was the sort of engagement that I wanted but but now yeah it's it's that engagement where they celebrate each other and they 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 kind of revel in the topic itself.
5: A hundred percent I mean I was teaching Blood Brothers last term which is a super interesting text right I am a private international school so super interesting text and my favourite lessons were the lessons where we'd be discussing some kind of aspect you know for example the rich giving to the poor Mm. and you would just see the kids start to flare up into this debate and they would go into this just incredible debate with each other about morality and all of that kind of stuff and my TA would just sit back we'd just relax into our chairs and we'd go right our job is done we're just going to watch this kick off that's (laughs) engagement. that's engagement you know that's engagement when you can just sit back and go right I'm gonna just sort of you know cross my arms here and watch everybody fight each other about this because this is this is engagement here
1: and you take on a sort of um what's that what's that guy that used to host question time is it David Dimbleby where you just kind of sit back and you just intervene every so often to stop it getting out of hand and other than that you pretty much just let them go like kind of at each other's throats I had that with my sixth formers. we we were talking about the the angel in the house. Um, at this point, I'm going to shout out to Tabitha McIntosh. For, for, and, and, amazing um, woman. Amazing, incredible woman. And also um, James, I think it's, oh, is it James, James P.? I think it's, uh, I don't know what it is are saying. It's James P., but it's Tabitha and James P. who have been like my absolute heroes when it comes to Six form and Dracula. But um, we were talking about the angel in the house and I pretty much just sat back because... The students were getting so animated, and they were really kind of getting their teeth into the the whole idea of uh, you know feminism and the roles of women at the times Stoker published the novel. And it was just it was so good. And yeah, it's great those moments, isn't it? When you can just sit back and you're just like, okay, you know, I've 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 created this, and now I'm just gonna now I'm just gonna relax. 100%
5: 100% I mean that's so much better than a you know whizzy powerpoint right
1: <laughs> absolutely yeah and, and I can't believe it's taken me so long to um to, to kind of move away from from powerpoint I think I, I, I you know I, I, it has its uses I, I still I still use it every now and then but you know for me the best thing about you know I like telling like you said simple simple and effective is what I like and I, I love just turning up to lessons with an exercise book the visualizer and literally just um doing the work alongside the students sort of thing. I actually find that I think sometimes I find even though I planned the lesson, I actually find the work more fun than they do sometimes.
5: (laughs) But but that's the joy of our job. I I mean, I think,
1: I think the debate
5: that I don't like, and we're seeing a little bit of this on Twitter at the moment is the, the debates where things are ridiculed, you know, and I don't, I don't think we should ever ridicule practice because practice is what makes us. And, Mm. you know, everyone looks back at things that they've done and go, hmm, I shouldn't have done that or, you know, that wasn't the greatest task ever. But that's a learning process for us and we are learners too. And I just think that, you know, it's about us finding our way with what outstanding is for us and our pupils in our context, you know, and how that helps to engage pupils when we're doing what we do. And I just think every learning activity that we do or we try teaches us something.
1: Yeah, I love I love that actually. I love that. That's so true, isn't it? I mean I look I look back at some of the old um resources that I made when I was a trainee and I oh god, I cringe. I absolutely cringe. Um, I want to just touch on something that you said uh a minute ago, Freya, and it's not kind of necessarily related to the, the over the overarching topic, but you said, you know, we look back on things and we think, Oh God. So can you think of a t- can you think of uh I don't know, something you've done in the past where you now, knowing what you know, having reflected on it, you look back and you think, Why did I ever do that? And if so, what was it?
5: Like, so many things. <laughs> like, okay, so on, many things. On. So, like, I used to have plastic balls. Um, I remember <laughs> I I created a fence for the boy in the striped pyjamas, right? I actually created a fence in the middle of my classroom, in class that was reading it. Um, I've done loads of Jeremy Kyle style sort of chat shows and, you know, oh that kind goodness. of thing. Oh, my gosh. I have so many cringy things, but do you know, the thing is, I don't look back and I don't go, oh, my God, what a horror. I look back and I laugh at myself and I go, OK, but would I be who I am today if I hadn't gone through all of those things and tried all those things out? And, you know, I just I look back on it fondly. I mean, I wouldn't do it now. Of course I wouldn't do it now.
1: But... <laughs> <laughs> See, th- you know. that's that's kind of um, I wish I was able to do that. I look back at things and I think, oh, what was I ever thinking? You know, I. it looks like I've just gone on. Um, I I don't know like I've just gone to just literally thrown the kitchen sink at at this at this powerpoint slide poor kids must have been absolutely overwhelmed all the different colors and whizzy like animations and stuff it just must have been hell for them
5: do you know the thing is so on a serious note when I first started oh my goodness so I started in a school that actually is now really well known I'm not going to name it people who know me will know where he is Um, And it was a category four-ish. And it was, I mean, the behavior was shocking. They're jumping out of windows, fights, the police restraining, all (laughs) kinds of stuff. I was a terrible teacher, right? I was a terrible teacher. Um, And honestly, if I was training in today's kind of era, I would probably be on like special measures or (laughs) capabilities. No, but it's true. It's so true. I look back and I think, oh my God, I was awful. But. I was learning and that's something that I think sometimes we don't pay enough attention to in the sense of we need to give people the space to learn to make mistakes and support them and and help them grow you know and I think sometimes we expect teachers to enter into the profession um, and be perfect And, and that's just there's no way there's just no way that's an insane ask of anybody and I think that goes back to the label of outstanding. Let's not do that to people. Let's not put them under that pressure. Let's go. This is a wonderful profession. Hopefully you'll be in it for 40, 50 years if you can go that long. Learn your craft over time. Just learn it over time and grow and take on board all of the feedback and just get better and better as you go through. I do seriously worry about these labels where we're really putting pressure on people to perform at a level that perhaps... They haven't been trained to perform that or they haven't been supported Mm. to perform that. And I think we need to be really mindful that people don't walk into a classroom and are brilliant teachers from the get go. They really aren't. You know, it takes time. It is something that needs to be practised.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I think this is where this is where I'm such a kind of great admirer of you, because you're, you know, the, the way that you reflect on things and the way that you um the way that you're able you're able to identify things that you need to tweak or change is something that i i really kind of um aspire to myself i think i'm still at that stage where i can i can tell you what went wrong at the end of a lesson but if you ask me okay so what are you going to do about that i don't necessarily always have an answer and i I sometimes have to really think and and i and i don't always know how to respond i mean it happened recently um uh, I I was observed um, at my new school and 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 I uh, you know, I had a kind of a meeting with with the person that observed me and and I, I I said okay I think I could have done this better or you know I've noticed that in lessons this is happening and I, and and I was asked okay so how, what do you think you can do to address that and I I didn't I wasn't sure and and I think that's where having like the time or the space to to reflect on to reflect properly is really helpful i've seen a few tweets recently again going back to this debate about teaching in the early 2000s where you would deliver a lesson and then you would have to reflect on how the lesson went on the lesson plan like immediately afterwards or like i don't know a, a day later and and it was it, it just kind of felt like you were playing you were just playing the game almost i mean i know when i trained i had on the lesson plan there was a little space at the end like trainee's reflections and i would write stuff but I would write stuff because I think I was like, well, I, I have to do this. So I'll, I, you know, I, I think this went wrong. So I'll just write this, and it, and I, and I wonder now, looking back, whether that was me really, really deeply reflecting on what I was doing, or whether it was just kind of, okay, well, I have to jump through this hoop, so I'll just do this.
5: I think reflection is like the biggest thing to sort of continually improving yourself and I think there's a number of problems with it I think first of all time you know teachers are busy and I I tweeted the other the other week the other month I can't remember about how I actually try to sit alone uh, at lunchtime because I just need 20 minutes where I'm reflecting on stuff and thinking about stuff and I think I think Teachers are really busy, so to actually sit with with yourself and go through a process of self reflection is really tricky. I also think it takes a level of confidence, and it's about the culture, isn't it? Is there a culture in your school where it's okay to go? Do you know what I don't know, or I need help with this? Because uh-huh. I think a lot of people feel that they can't can't be open and honest about those things because we have created as you know, I'm talking about the UK more so than internationally, perhaps. We've created these cultures where accountability is so great. So people, as a result, are more fearful to express, you know, that they're not certain about something. I mean, just this week, for the first time I'm teaching, um, not but Beth, but I'm doing an ambition focused question for my coursework. And I emailed the department saying, right, I think I know which scenes I'm gonna go with, but can I have your feedback because I want to just check that I haven't missed anything glaringly obvious. And it's that culture, actually, that schools need to really foster that. It's OK mm. to go, do you know what? I don't know this and I need some help and I need someone to support me with this. Um, and those discussions, I always think that the discussions around what we need to do to get better are, are, are the richest in terms of actually improving teaching and learning.
1: I think, yeah, I definitely to pick up on that i think like discussing discussing things with your colleagues is so important because that, that that for me as well is probably alongside twitter is probably one of the best forms of professional development is speaking to your colleagues and just asking you know I, I, at my new school i've been asking like how can i what can i do you know what i i I'm, if i'm being perfect i'm not really sure how to approach this lesson what what do you suggest that i do and and having that discussion with more experienced colleagues who can just tell, they just give you kind of other avenues in and and make you look mm-hmm. at things in a different way is 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 massively helpful. Um, I have just seen that it, that Elaine. I know, I just <laughs> that. Spent hours making three caskets and scrolls to introduce *The Merchant of Venice*. Oh no. Then read the scene with students trotting up to open caskets. It fell very flat. Maybe Elaine, if you'd had actual like, isn't that where? Doesn't she have like gold in one of them? Maybe Elaine, if you'd had actual gold in one of them, <laughs> it might have made it like that little bit more appealing. But oh my goodness, that is that is. When you say we've hours, all been Elaine, there, haven't we? Haven't we though. We're... <laughs> we've all been there where we spend
5: hours preparing something and we're like you know the expectation that everyone's gonna love it in the classroom and you do something like that and you just get these blank (laughs) stares back and you're like this took me five hours to make you should really love this
1: (laughs) and what's even what's even more cutting as well is when you say that when you say to the kids this took me like three hours i was up till 11 o'clock at night doing this they just don't care and and you're like please like I'm so tired because of this the worst thing for me is that I've I've put hours into making stuff and then at the last minute have just decided you know what I'm not even going to bother and so it's I I dread to think how many how many hours (laughs) I've wasted making like I don't know booklets or something that I then just never use or never even finish or never look at but it's so tempting to just this is what this is one of those things I was saying it's so tempting to design stuff and make stuff and then you just kind of halfway through I'm just like, oh this is taking too long. I've lost interest now. I'm just gonna turn up and (laughs) do it with my exercise book. So yeah, it's um it's funny. There's there's a few things, Freya, which I just want to run by you. So these are things that I've found um I think it's called top top tips for engage engaging classroom an engaging classroom or something. I have to I have to say I don't I don't know. I'm gonna assume this is targeted at primary children. However The article doesn't specify. So I'm just going to run these by you and and, and (laughs) say whether whether these would work work in your classroom. So uh, the strategy for creating an engaging classroom is called a brain break. Uh, Now, brain breaks are quick exercises that you can do with students to give them a way to channel some of the extra energy they've stored up. So this is in the middle of your class, right? In the middle of your lesson, pause for a few moments to do something fun and unexpected. This could include um, bringing an inflatable beach ball to bounce around the room, but you can't let it touch the ground. Is that something you would ever consider using in your classroom, Freya?
5: Right, I want to say no, but I'm going to make a slight confession here. So no, (laughs) but sometimes with my year 13s, when we get really stressed, we'll have a brain break in that we'll play Taylor Swift, Shake It Off and then we just have a shake it off and then we go back to our work. So I wanna say no, but I'm probably a little bit guilty of that with my year 13s.
1: Well, it's really interesting because maybe you can try this, a freeze dance party where you play some music (laughs) and you bust a move, but challenge students to freeze in place when you pause the tune. So I guess that's like musical chairs, but not musical chairs. So maybe next time we do year 13s during your shake it off, you could just pause and get them all to freeze in place.
5: Anyway, uh, I think I'm going to do that tomorrow, right? And we've got a new head teacher who's currently doing learning walks. So I hope that I get to do it and she walks in right at that moment.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't that be absolutely incredible? That would be so great. <laughs> and I hope, I hope that you will credit this show. Um, absolutely.
0: So we've
1: we've also got here, have students line up using specific criteria like tallest to shortest or by birth date. But that's literally all it says. I don't know what you would then do once they've, once they've lined up from tallest to shortest I don't know whether you then just say okay now sit back down or like whether you do something with them or I don't know I can only assume this is a, this is targeted towards primary kids it has to be I can never This no. in a secondary classroom
5: I mean our corridors aren't big enough for a start so no that just no no
1: there's also <laughs> do do a one minute drawing about the lesson
5: oh wow oh wow um <laughs> no
1: (laughs) no is that not that not a strategy that will be making its way into your classroom anytime soon
5: no I mean I suppose people you know could shoehorn that into dual coding um you know if you want to go the (laughs) research route but you know probably not probably no (laughs) I,
1: no, I, I don't think so um okay I just want to see if there's anything else uh which I have oh Oh, actually, I neglected to mention um, this this gem that I found, what makes an outstanding lesson. Um, and it's a, it's a whole checklist about, uh, oh, where did I, where did I, oh, here we go. Outstanding feature number two, make it personal. Plan to use a range of learning styles, and then in brackets it says VAC. Engage a student by showing an interest in something they are interested in. Um dear sir have or or miss there's it literally says dear sir there's not even a miss or anything have students write a note to you in their exercise book about how they feel about their learning in a lesson and you respond when you mark their books i mean that's just that just screams like workload issue doesn't it
5: yeah that's untenable i mean i do people feedback once a term i think no no
1: three i'm not gonna write letters to
5: them i'm gonna talk to them
1: (laughs) but also like that's that whole thing i mean was was there a thing where, like, before you would mark a student's book and then they would then respond to the feedback, and then didn't the teacher have to then respond again? Is that was that? Yes, a thing?
5: yeah, that was a. I think that's triple marking, right? Like, who has time for that? Seriously, who no, has time absolutely. for
1: that? No, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Um, we also have uh ex- extension task written on the board. Okay, that's actually pretty sensible. Um. Mm-hmm go around the class and give each student a target for what you hope them to achieve by the end of the lesson. I mean, is that not just like, would every student not just have the same target and then you would just put the support in place?
5: No, all I can see in my head right now are those poles with the plates spinning round, and you're going around trying to keep all the poles spinning. No, that's too much. I mean, most people have, you know, 30 kids in a class, 30 different targets. No, in one lesson, when are you going to teach?
1: You you would never have the chance, would you? Oh, it just gets it gets better and better. Um, keep it pacey, <laughs> whatever that means. Accurate timings, two minutes, etc. Um, carousel nice. activities: students move from one to another on different tables. So, is that where you would have different things on tables and the students just go round and pick an activity? Is that what that is?
5: That used to be a thing. Now, I am a fan of jigsaw. Um, I think jigsaw works, and jigsaw is known to have quite a high impact. Um. In terms of progress and stuff like that, so I am a fan of Jigsaw. Slightly harder in a COVID world, though.
1: Yeah, everything is, isn't it? COVID has just kind of decimated teaching. I mean, I, I for, the, for my train for the majority of my training, I felt a bit like a Victorian teacher in that I would just stand at the front of the classroom <laughs> and I wasn't able to like go anywhere else. Um, no, this is this is good. So bring on the eight, bring on the A four L assessment for learning. Obviously, uh, traffic light. So there's a red wall, an amber wall, and a green wall. Thumbs up in between and down. So, I guess, like, if the students are happy, they go to the green wall, and if they're not happy, they go to the red wall. I mean, you'd have to decorate, you'd have to like paint the walls and stuff, wouldn't you?
5: Yeah, no, that doesn't sound good. That doesn't sound good. I mean, who is actually going to go and stand themselves in front of a red wall?
1: No, I mean, no like year nine is going to do that on period five or period six on a Friday. No year nine is going to go and stand in front of a red wall. No, because no. No, but these are all, these are, these are, this is a a whole checklist of features for an outstanding lesson. Um, And someone made a point earlier actually, um, which I neglected to read out. So it was, I think it was Nick. Um, So maybe it's subjective. What makes a great slash successful lesson? One student may get everything. Another may hate it. And the teacher might have no idea. I agree. Contribution shouldn't matter. We were graded on it in uni here. So over in Australia, I think, it is subjective, isn't it? It is massively subjective, what makes a great lesson. And this is why I find the whole concept so problematic is because as teachers, even between ourselves, we can't always agree what success looks like or what's good or what's not good. So how is it possible to have these labels and kind of, I don't know, how how do you do that? Because it's so, it's yeah, so... Well, did
2: it, um...
5: I don't know the exact figures. I can't remember, but Dylan William has spoken about this, hasn't he? about how, you know, you can have two or three observers and they'll all give you a different grade or different feedback or anything like that. And yeah. I also think, I also think what's really, really important as well is, you know, if, if we're honest with ourselves, and again, that's really, really important, you know, us being great teachers is also really subjective according to the key stake and the topic. So like, I would say I am strongest at Key Stage 3. I blooming love Key Stage 3. Love it. I'm probably weakest at Key Stage 5, you know. I'm not, I'm not consistently outstanding at Key Stage 5. That's okay because I'm, I'm pretty good at Key Stage 3. So I think it's also subjective about the Key Stage you're teaching the topic. Like if you are teaching a topic that you've taught, you know, five times before, you're going to be blooming brilliant. If you're teaching a topic for the first time, you've got no chance. You've got no chance because you're learning it on the go, and then you need to refine it once you've done it that once time and you know, that first time, and then it'll be better the second time. And then the third time it'll be even better. So it's so subjective. There's so many factors.
1: Yeah, that's, that's so true. I mean, there's, there's, so I'm currently teaching uh, year eight villains and I have to say that's a topic where I'm not massively confident. Um, and so my, you know, I, I, I don't think any of my lessons would even come remotely close to being outstanding, but then, uh, with, um, you know, I don't, I don't teach key stage four at the moment, but if I was teaching key stage four, I, I think my I'm most confident at that key stage because I, I love the whole, like, getting really into texts and, and picking them apart and, and things like that. So that's what I love. So I think, yeah, if you came to see me at period one on a Tuesday teaching year 10 Macbeth and then came to see me period four in the same day teaching villains to year eight, it would be probably like watching a different person
5: yeah exactly but the important thing is that you know that and I know that about myself and that we're proactive with that you know but we're not going around going oh look at me I'm outstanding at everything uh or striving to be outstanding at everything because it's not possible you know it's just being about you know being pragmatic isn't it
1: yeah I think so I think so um (laughs) Okay, so we have, how long do we have? We have about 13 minutes left of the show. Um, Freya, thank you so much for joining me. I don't want you to feel like you have to stay because I guess it's what, like 10, like nearly half, 20 past 10 in Italy.
5: It is, you're right.
1: <laughs> so, I mean, if you like, if you want to head off, then that's absolutely fine. Thank you so much for joining me. It's been so, so good to talk to you. Um,
5: oh, thank I've really, you for really- inviting I- me.
1: No, it's it's been a pleasure. I've really enjoyed listening to what you've had to say, and I think there's there's so much that someone like me could learn from you. So it's been really good. Um, and I, I, I guess for the last ten minutes I will just try and kind of summarise um, all that, that that I talked about at the start and and which um, you know Freya has, has contributed to as well. So um bottom line, Ofsted have Slightly confusingly said that there is no particular, there's no recipe for an outstanding lesson. They know one when they see it. However, they do give a, um, a a seven step kind of criteria, I suppose, which is that pupils are inspired, engaged and motivated. They are challenged, they are making progress. They're keen to contribute to the lesson. They interact productively with each other as well as the teacher. They're able to explain what they're doing and why, and they're proud of their achievements during the lesson. Um, I kind of picked those, some of those apart. Um, uh, again, Freya, if, if you do want to jump in at any point, please do. Uh, we talked about inspired, engaged, and motivated. Engagement is engagement is a strange, a strange concept. I think everyone has different ideas about what it is. Some people will think that engagement is where the pupils are, you know, compliant, heads down, getting on with the task. That you know that looks like they're engaged, and if it looks like they're doing stuff, it, then they must be learning. But I think we have to be careful because that can sometimes be a false proxy, and I am guilty of this myself. Uh, pupils are challenged i think people should be challenged absolutely why not we should be setting high expectations of our pupils because we all know that when we set high expectations pupils will generally rise to meet them making progress i think i would i don't yeah it's not like like elaine said earlier in 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 the in the chat it's if if we want pupils to make progress in a lesson we're assuming there that progress is linear and we're assuming that learning happens in nice neat 50 minute or hour blocks which we know isn't the case learning is messy it happens over time in a subject like English you know progress is kind of incremental and you know it it, it might take years in some cases for a pupil to to show that they have come come on leaps and bounds um but that's okay that's okay that's that's absolutely okay Freya and I have talked a lot about how as teachers and you know, and, and this connects to the debate that's been going on Twitter as well. There are things that we did, not me, because I wasn't a teacher 10 years ago, but there are things that, that my colleagues, my now colleagues did 10 years ago, that they look back on and probably laugh at and probably think, oh, you know, that was, I would never do that again, but it's taken them 10 years to go. They're, we're all on the journey. It's taken them 10 years to get to where they are now. It's taken them making those mistakes to realize that that doesn't work. And it's the same for pupils. In some ways, pupils and teachers mirror one another in that we are both on learning journeys. And in the same way that we wouldn't expect a teacher to, as Freya said, go straight into the classroom and just get it and know what to do. We shouldn't assume that pupils in the space of one lesson are going to understand something. Um, i I read, a, I read a post from the venerable uh, David Didow. I hope I'm getting that right. I know David's surname is, uh, some people pronounce it differently, David Didow, um, where he talked about um, the cult of outstanding and the problem with outstanding lessons. And there, and there was something in there that he said, which was really interesting. Um, and he talks about sustained and rapid progress. And he says that the problem um, is that the route to sustained progress is deeply counterintuitive. You know, we're all, we're all, we're all comfortable with the idea of making rapid progress because it feels right. I think we all like that, don't we? When, when we when we introduce a pupil to something or a student a class to something, and it looks like they get it, we feel good. Of course we do, because we feel like we've done a we feel like we've done the right thing. We feel like we've done something effectively, but actually, um, there's a This is again to quote from David's post. There's a significant body of research which suggests that slowing performance and increasing the errors made during instruction has a significant impact on our ability to retain and transfer skills and knowledge. Simply put, we learn better by struggling. So I find it really interesting that in order for a lesson to be outstanding, progress is a a criteria. The counter argument to that would be that it wouldn't really make sense for, you know, (laughs) pupils should struggle for that to be a criteria for an outstanding lesson. I think that would be a bit... Um, daft. But I think that's more aligned to reality is that actually, if a pupil, if a class have struggled with something, then, you know, it's, it's more likely that they're going to have retained that knowledge and, or I don't know, they're going to be able to build on that uh, going forward. Um, and again, as David says, but this is not what happens in an outstanding lesson where pupils are expected to demonstrate rapid progress and not look confused as they grapple with challenging concepts and it was that that I read which really resonated with me because today when I was introducing my year eights to to how you know ways they could write a good introduction I was going through the steps and I gave them a three a three-step process to follow for their introduction and I had a I had a comment in the chat from a pupil who was at, who was learning he uh, was at home and they said I'm confused and there were some faces in the room where the you know furrowed brows and some people's kind of looking at the people next to them as if to say, what is he talking about? And it really kind of threw me off because I thought, oh, no, I haven't explained it very well. I haven't shown them clearly what I want them to do. But as I was walking around the room, they they were doing what I'd shown them to do. And they might have asked me a few clarification questions. But once I kind of said, OK, yeah, so just you know, do it like this way or focus on this, they they seem to be able to kind of get on with it better. Now at the time, like I say, I, th- I thought, Oh no, this is, this hasn't gone very well. This has been a bad lesson. But then reading that I thought, actually, maybe, maybe, or maybe I'm just kidding myself, I don't know. Maybe the fact that they found it confusing or found it difficult was a good thing. Um, and you know, the more we practice that and the more we try and uh, you know apply it to different types of question they actually might get used to it and 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 find that it's not as bad as they think um i said earlier about one of the offset criteria being imaginative tasks you know i think a teacher who sets imaginative tasks is an outstanding teacher um and 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 david kind of touches on that in in his in his post. Um, it's a really, really good post actually. I've, I really enjoyed reading it and it really kind of gave me a lot of food for thought as I um as I was coming into this show and, and, and getting ready for it. So the bottom line is outstanding is a difficult concept to address. We all have different ideas of what makes someone or something outstanding. It's not it's not as simple as yes or no, I don't think. Um, it's nuanced, it's dependent on context, as many things are in teaching. And we all bring our own ideas to the table, don't we? We all, we all bring our own ideas to what we think makes uh, an outstanding teacher or an outstanding lesson, including our own, you know, our own biases. Our own biases feed into what we think is outstanding. I, I know many a time I've walked away and thought that went really well. And then other people would probably come in and say, actually, you could, have done this. you could have done this, you could have done this. So, although the label exists, I'm not sure that the thing to which the label is attached does. Um, equally, you know, in, in this article that I read from Teacher Toolkit written by um, John Dab- Dab- Dabble, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, so I'm really sorry. Um, he said that... Uh, an outstanding teacher doesn't exist. You know, there is no such thing as an outstanding teacher. There are effective teachers there are great teachers, but there is no such thing as an outstanding teacher. An outstanding teacher is someone who is probably heading on the long road to, well, the short road to burnout because it's just simply not sustainable. And it's not realistic to as much as we would all like to aim for those dizzy heights and to stay there. It's not, It's not always possible. So turning then to the idea of engagement, I'm going to appropriate what Freya said, which is that engagement should come from the subject itself. It shouldn't come from whizzy activities. It shouldn't come from, I don't know, getting students to go to a red wall, a green wall, or an amber wall. Or even, dare I say it, uh, throwing beach balls across the room and not letting it touch the floor. Not a good idea. I certainly won't be incorporating that into my practice. Engagement should come from the subject itself and it should come. We should, we, we as teachers should demonstrate and model our enthusiasm for our subjects and show our pupils that knowledge, knowledge is engaging. That's what Freya said and which I really liked. Knowledge is engaging. That should be enough. We don't need anything else. We just need knowledge. And we need the joy of our respective subjects. Um, it's been a really, really interesting show. I've had a really good time uh, talking to Freya. Was great. Thank you to those of you who've contributed um, in the chat. It's been really good to hear your views as well. Um, and and I, I hope that you know there'll be some kind of debates on, um, or, or not not debates, but conversations about this on Twitter as well. Um, it's been really interesting for me. I think I've. I've come away from this show with um, some some new thoughts and some new ideas and it's, it's it's been a pleasure. So to those of you who've tuned in, thank you so much. Um, I will see you in a fortnight. My next show will be, I don't know what the date is in a fortnight. Uh, my next show, I think will be the 10th of February, which will be the day before the end of term, actually. So um, I will, I will think of a, of something to talk about, um, for that show. And I hope to have you all with me, uh, you know, talking to me in the chat and, and, and tweeting me, um, because yeah, I, I feed off your contributions and I, I love to hear what you've got to say. So, um, I'm going to wrap it up there, folks. Thank you so much. And I will see you in a fortnight.